In the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Recently, perhaps you've noticed in the news, there was a report last week. Was it last week? I can't remember what week we're in. I believe it was last week. Um, the Supreme Court of the United States of America took up a question. The question is, does Congress have a right to mandate that individuals buy health insurance? This was a question they took up. I'm not here to give you the answer. I, I don't even think about the answer. I know I have to have health insurance, and uh, I hope that I always have it, and if I don't, I don't know what I'll do, pay the fine, I, whatever. But uh, that's not my point. My point isn't what the answer should be. You'd... My real answer is I don't really think about it very much, and I, I don't know that I have enough thought about it to have an opinion. But the question is a good question. Does Congress have a right to mandate something like that? Well, who has a right to make such mandates? Parents have a right to make mandates. They make mandates of their children all the time, don't they? Parents tell their children, you will clean your room. And they say, no, I'm not. Oh, yes, you will. And I'll show you how you're going to be encouraged to do so, right? What about, um, what about in the Old Testament? We, ha- we read ten mandates. You shall. You shall not. This is language of, um, of imperative. These are commands. Another word for a command is a mandate. In fact, I remember, uh, I remember years ago when I, um, some friends of mine who were um, uh, from kind of American evangelical churches, great people, uh, and, but they didn't really understand liturgical churches. And they said to me one time, asked me a question, why do you have a day called Monday, Thursday? Can you not decide whether it's Monday or Thursday? And I, I laughed a little bit and I said to them, no, it's not Monday, Thursday. It's Monday, Thursday. Well, where does Maundy Thursday come? Maundy is a is an English sort of contraction of the word, the Latin word mandatum. Mandatum Thursday, mandate Thursday. You came to church tonight to hear about a Christian mandate. Does Christ have a right to mandate something? Well, maybe that's a question for the Supreme Court, but it's not. It's a question for the church. Of course, Christ has a right to mandate. What would he mandate for us? What does Christ demand? What, what's the language of imperative when it comes to the gospel? Well, there is the, the command, of course, uh, that my new commandment, that you love one another. But that's not the only commandment that we listen to on Maundy Thursday. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians is writing to them about the Lord's Supper, about Holy Communion, the Eucharist, the Mass, whatever language you want to use of that time where we gather around the table and celebrate in bread and wine the the death of Jesus Christ. Paul says that here is the words that he received. Do this for the remembrance of me. Do this. One of the first commandments for Maundy Thursday is to receive, to celebrate and receive the Lord's Supper. Come and receive. It's not an option. It's a mandate. Do this, Jesus says. Oh, you know, it's kind of confusing. People may not really understand. Do it. Well, you know, we're not really sure that this is very popular. Do it. 
people are going to think we're cannibals. Do you know that was actually an accusation made against the early church? That you people eat human beings? You must be insane. One of the very first documents we have written from the early church is by a man who is trying to explain why we get together and celebrate the Lord's Supper and talk about eating His flesh and drinking His blood. It's, it's called the Apology of Justin Martyr. Go back and read it. His whole explanation. Why do we do this? We do this because this is a mandate. Take. Well, what are we doing? A lot of discussion around this through the ages. Well, one of them in the in the in the uh, in the 1600s, the 16th century rather, in 1500s, and, and and on that was this issue of what happens. You of course know that um, uh, among the church we could divide it in many ways. Roman Catholics would say the Lord, the Holy Spirit, comes down upon the elements of bread and wine and changes them, transforms them into a different substance. Transubstantiation becomes a different substance. Other arguments kind of entered into this conversation. Lutherans said, no, the substance stays the same, but somehow Christ comes and He's present with it. Consubstantiation. Some among the, the Calvinist group said, no, it's about the Holy Spirit. The, the Lord is present at the table. The Holy Spirit captures us up into heaven. And we feast on His body and blood in a spiritual sense, by faith. And then another group a group called the Zwinglians, followed this guy, Ulrich Zwingli, said, no, 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 it's about remembering. Well, I think that among the, the three former groups, there can be a lot of good and healthy discussion. Among the Zwinglians, I think they're in error. It's not about conjuring up a good memory. We gather around the table, we come and we receive communion, not because we want to remember Sort of like Memorial Day. Sort of like a, um, a time of, uh, oh, don't you remember when Grandma used to say, and we would say something and everybody would have a good chuckle and we would remember Grandma fondly. That is not what Jesus meant. That is not what Paul means when he says, do this for the remembrance of me. The remembrance, the anamnesis, is to relive. Is to go back and to relive this as if it were the very first time. Do this for the remembrance of me. Do this so that you might relive this event. That you might relive it as part of your own life. And in receiving it, be regenerated. Become a new human being. A qualitatively different kind of person. One of the early church fathers said that when we receive the elements of the Eucharist, we receive medicine for our souls. That by eating this bread and drinking this wine, something actually changes inside of us. We become qualitatively different people. New human beings. I, I like Tom Wright's language. We become the true humanity. We become what God wants us to become. So we do this not because we feel like it's fun. Or not because it makes us remember Jesus. We could remember Jesus anywhere. But because He is truly present with us. And that when we consume these elements, He has given us a gift, pledge of His love. That by doing this, we have eternal life. Come to the table. This is the first mandate. Come. <laughs> come. Come to the table. 
The second mandate, I think, is this. Go. I like the way the early church named the, the service. They called it the Mass. In, in the Reformation period, um, there was this, uh, there was this um, anti-Catholic uh, fervor that everything that was tainted with Rome had to be changed, including what we called the gathering. But in the gathering for the Mass, well, the reason I love that word is because it comes from the, from the word for dismissal in Latin. You came to go. You don't come to stay, you come to go. You come to be transformed and changed and sent out. That's why coming is so essential. We need this sacrament because it changes us. But the second command, go. And when you go, here's how you go. You go in charity, in love. We go in the same way that Christ went into the world. The same way that He was sent by the Father, go into the world. This is the way that we go into the world. One of my professors um, from Asbury Seminary wrote this book, and um, it's called uh, The Trinitarian Shape of Ministry, is the subtitle of it. I can't remember the first title of it. I remember the subtitle. That's pretty bad. You remember the subtitle, not the title. Uh, But The Trinitarian Shape of Ministry, and here's what he said. He said that what we do is we share this ministry of Christ. This is what the church does. We don't share ministry to the world. We minister to the Father. As the Son. Through the power of the Spirit. For the sake of the church and the world. So as we go, we minister to the Father. We go wherever the Father sends us. We do whatever the Father tells us to do. Henry Blackaby, a Baptist, picks up on this in his book called Experiencing God. Go find what God's doing. That's what He wants you to do. He's doing this right in front of you. He's opened your eyes to it. You see it. Now go do it. And how do you do it? You do it in love. You forgive one another. You cherish one another. You treat one another with respect and dignity. You're gentle with one another. Do you know how you love somebody that you really love? (laughs) Well, Jesus is saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. Notice. Just as. In the same way as. In like manner. I I need more synonyms. Just like. You do it. Here's the way. I've given you an example. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go love one another just like I have loved you. And you say to yourself, well, that's all good and well for people I love, but love isn't like a switch, you know. You don't just flip it on and all of a sudden I love somebody I didn't love. Exactly. See, that's where the first step, come to the table, be transformed to the image of Christ, then go and love like Christ's love. And guess what happens? You'll be depleted day by day by day and you'll come back and be more transformed. And go back to love more and more and more. And you'll come back to be transformed and changed into the image of Christ. And then you'll go out and you'll love more and more and more. And come, go, and kneel. Kneel in service to one another. Jesus gets up from the table, takes a robe, puts it off, I assume it's like an outer garment, and takes a towel, wraps it around his waist, goes and he kneels down and starts washing the feet of his friends because they're dirty. <laughs> I mean, this isn't, uh, this isn't a liturgical act. 
This is a significant act. It's okay to do it liturgically, and from time to time we do. We didn't this year, and I'm sorry. But there's a good place to do this as a reminder liturgically, but it's not about the liturgical function. It is about the, the practical one. It's about going into the world in service. It's about an attitude of humility, not of arrogance. Humility is a great word. It comes from the Latin. I don't know why I got on the etymology today, but I did. Humility comes from the Latin word humus. You know what humus is? It's the earth. Humility is being humble. It's being part of the earth. It's recognizing that God created us out of the earth. It's okay to be earthy. Not worldly, earthy. It's okay to be earthy. It's okay to say, look, I'm made from the same mud that you're made from. And you're made from the same mud I'm made from. And, and she's made from the same mud that we're made from. And everybody else is made from the same earth. It's about getting low. It's the opposite of arrogance, isn't it? Arrogance is about making yourself high. We even have language for this. Look at me, putting on airs, someone might say, right? Or, or they might say, um, you know, get your nose out of the clouds. You know, uh, why are you so stuck up? All the language about up, thinking that we're high and above. No, being humble in humility, serving one another is about bringing ourselves down and doing, listen, doing what needs to be done. a neighbor's lawn needs mow to mow it. That's not what we do, is it? We call, the, we call the homeowners association and say, can you believe they haven't mowed their lawn? You know? No, that's not about... It's about, it's about feeding somebody who needs to be fed. That's not what we do. We say, oh, they need to get a job. It's about clothing somebody who needs to be clothed. It's not just about being against things like abortion. It's about being for young women who are pregnant and in desperate situations. In humility, serving people. In humility, giving of ourselves. Not thinking that we're any better than anyone else. Maundy Thursday. What's with Maundy Thursday? Well, it's about a mandate. Mandate Thursday. What does Christ mandate for the church? Come. Come receive. And in receiving, be changed, be transformed, be, be completely remodeled into the image of Christ Himself. I've mentioned this before, um, uh, this part in Thomas Merton's uh, autobiography where he's struggling. I don't know whether I want to be a, a professor or I don't know if I want to be a monk or be a priest. And he's, he's talking to his friend as they're walking down the street. And his friend stops him and says, Thomas, what do you most want to do with your life? And he gets really upset. He says, haven't you been listening to me? I told you, I don't know what I most want to do with my life. And Merton's friend says to him, you see, that's your problem. Those are all the wrong answers. The right answer should be, I want to be a saint. That's the right answer. What do you most want to do with your life? I want to be a saint. Not someone whose you know, image is on a little coin. Hopefully your image is on a coin someday. That would be wonderful. That's not a saint. A saint is someone who reflects Jesus Christ in the world. Paul called the Corinthians saints. and They didn't look very saintly to me as I read through that letter. Someone who longs for God's presence to transform them. Come. Be transformed. Go. 
Show that transformed life to the world. And you'll do it most when you kneel in service, serving those who need to be served. This, this is the mandate, not just for this night, but for every night, until He comes in glory and we feast at His heavenly banquet. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.